1: up everybody and welcome to episode 81 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host Brad Roland coming to you live on this fine Sunday evening and joining me for the first time in a while, Joe Lucia of Awful Announcing and the comeback and all those fun things. What's up Joe? Thanks for having me Brad.
0: Really appreciate that you uh, finally regained contact with me. It's uh, so <laughs> uh, good to be back. I've uh, I've spent a long summer trying to uh, get through this brave season and uh, now that it's finally over or almost over, I'm kind of actually a little bit disappointed and sad that it's
1: gone yeah it's it's sort of nice to have baseball just on I, you know it's not it's not not been the most fun uh season in terms of successes there's been some positive stuff that we can get into, but yeah it'll be uh i I'm sort of at that point in the season where I'm almost ready for it to be over, but I say that knowing that as soon as it ends, I'll be wanting it back if that makes sense um okay. so yeah i mean it's it makes perfect sense that you're uh not quite ready for it, for it to be over, especially if, if you don't like football that much. Uh, I do like football, so that sort of ties my time over a little bit. And obviously, I'm, uh, my basketball stuff keeps me busy pretty much 24 7, 365 at this point. But uh, baseball is always nice to have around. Yeah, it is, especially like,
0: you know, like a boring Wednesday night, you have nothing doing. There's always going to be a game on that you can just flip on. And I'm a huge soccer fan, so I really don't have that benefit. I have to wake up at four in the morning on weekends here on the West Coast to watch uh, some of the best soccer games every weekend. So uh, it's really not all that great when uh, when baseball is gone and your weeknights don't really have that much going on anymore.
1: Yeah, for sure. I can I see that being uh, the case for sure. Well... Uh, on a rare occasion in the last couple of weeks, we have some positive, some positivity to talk about on the field. The Braves have now won four or five and uh, are a little bit hot randomly. Uh, they, they have a couple of uh, comeback, comeback wins this week and now are up to a blistering pace on 538 of a 73 win projection. It was down as low as 71 a couple of uh, you know, days or even like a week ago now. So it's been a little bit fun to follow this team recently, the last couple of days here, you know, come comeback win on Sunday right, right before we started recording this. So uh, a little bit of uh, hope, hopefully an uh, arbiter of things to come. Obviously last, last year they ended really strong, and that has not really translated, but, uh, you know, they look to be ending strong again, at least potentially.
0: Yes, getting uh, some of the new blood in the uh, lineup seems to be helping a lot. Uh, Ozzy Alves has been sensational since he's gotten called up again. The, the rotation is still kind of in shambles. But I think just getting some of these new guys here, getting some of the older guys out of the lineup onto uh, other teams who just on the bench, I think that's helped out a lot.
1: Yeah, it really has. I mean, it's it's one of those things where the lineup is just flat out better than it was a couple of months ago as well with the guys that are in there now versus the guys that started the season. That kind of helps, and the pitching's not been ideal. We talk, we'll talk about that in a, in a minute here, especially the bullpen over the last uh, you know couple of months has not been good, but lately they've at least done enough to keep the Braves around and the, kind of has some timely hitting set up. Um one thing I wanted to ask you about, and sort of obvious, and these guys are talking, I we talk about all the time, but Dansby Swanson and Dan Ozzy Albies are both sort of cooking here at the same time. Uh, Dansby, we can talk about first. Obviously, he's been very good since returning from the, uh, you know, I guess it was a, a full blown demotion midseason, and since then he has an, an on base percentage of like 430. Obviously, it's a very small sample, but what have you seen from Dansby? How encouraged are you by that? And uh, kind of where are you uh, right now on him in general? Because obviously, it did not go well early on in the year.
0: I think that the way he's playing now is kind of like the best case of what we all expected of him coming into the season. And just getting that, I think it was like a three-week stint in the minors or so, I think since then he's just had a lot more confidence at the plate. He's got hits to drop. Like earlier in the season, he had nothing falling. His Babbitt was something like I think 220 or something ridiculously low like that. And now that he's getting to play every day he doesn't have to worry about losing playing time i think he can just relax play his game and just play like everyone knows he can
1: what do you what do you think about him in general i think it's one of those things where I, I was almost certainly lower on him than the uh, than the hype probably was when he was coming on strong last year and now I find myself being a lot more optimistic on him than a lot of people are. I think a lot of people just jumped off and that's sort of the, the nature of fandom. People got really really high on him and then got really really low on him when he was struggling. I think I'm probably higher than the consensus on him now. But what do you think he actually is now that we've sort of seen him be hot, be super duper cold, and now sort of be hot again? What was his baseline like for 2018? For instance, I know that's it's still early in his career. I've next year we're talking about next year but what do you expect from him knowing that it's been so up and down I
0: mean I'd be happy with something like uh 280 360 420 out of him I, I think that would make him pretty much the player we all expected him to be maybe a little more power a little less on base I'm not really sure about that but if he can do something like that I think I think it'll be fine for what he is even though the hype frame was way too out of control coming into the season. I mean, and a lot of that was coming from the Braves, too. They kind of positioned him as one of the faces of the franchise, along with Freeman and Kemp and Enciarte. And that's way too much for a guy like that to handle after, what, like 40 major league games under his belt or something like that. It, It was way too much, too early for him.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important to know. It's something we talked about, I know, on the podcast and I've written about on Talking Chopping, etc., other places. But I, even the high side of Dansby at the plate, I think, was going to be a disappointment to some people. When you think about a superstar, which people think about him potentially being his number one overall pick, he's not going to be like the guy who hits 30 homers or hits 350. It's just I, I don't want really to see that from him. So it's always it – part of it was a baseline issue too, I thought, at least with, uh, with in terms of the fans. I, I think you hear a number one overall pick and you're expecting a guy to be like that super-duper star at the plate – especially. And it's uh, more about that overall value of of having a guy who could play a competent shortstop and hit the ball enough, uh, get on base enough. It was like it was a situation where he was expected to be, at least by anyone who was smart, uh, the superpower guy or this guy who's suddenly going to be, you know, Jose Altuve at the plate hit 350. So it's sort of a, it's an expectations thing as well. I think, you know, him being good early on probably didn't help that, but I think it's important to note what like he probably quote unquote should be versus what people thought he might be.
0: I think coming into the year when a lot of us, including myself, kind of slapped that kind of Jeter tag on him, I think a lot of people took that the wrong way because, I mean, Derek Jeter wasn't this exceptional hitter throughout his career. He was, was, you know, an above-average hitter. and That's why I think Anthony Swanson will be an above-average hitter for a shortstop. If he hits 20 homers in a season, that would probably be a career year for him. But we see guys like Prime Alex Rodriguez, Miguel Tejada, now we're seeing guys like uh, Corey Seager, Francisco Lindor. These guys are mashers, like top 10 hitters in the league. He's never, ever going to be that. And I think coming in when you see like stud shortstop prospects, you immediately think, oh, he's going to be in that upper echelon. And I don't think he was ever going to be there.
1: Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. It's one of those things where, I mean, even Jeter, like, I'm with you on Jeter in general, but there was that point, um, you know, mid to late in career where he was like kind of regularly hitting in like the 320, 330 range. And that was sort of I don't think Dan's is going to get there. And again, you know, Jeter's in a Hall of Famer. It's not like this. I mean, it's not. I understand the comparison. I think it's probably the most reasonable one for Dansby of a player who could be an excellent um, shortstop for a long time, but not necessarily be that high-end power guy or that, you know, that super-duper hitter. So I'm with you. But even that, I mean, obviously, I, I, I'm, I'm not really my, reminding you of this. or more just anybody else that, like, yeah, you know, saying Derek Jeter... It's the profile that we're talking about. It's not exactly projecting a Derek Jeter career because even if Derek Jeter is probably overrated uh, in terms of uh, the way that he's discussed, he was still absolutely awesome and a Hall of Hammer. So uh, we're not trying to like throw that tag on him uh, just because of that. But I think the uh, the playing style, the sort of the makeup, makes a lot of sense there. I think a guy that
0: might be a decent comp for him is Edgar Renteria with less speed because I mean he was a guy he hit. High two hundreds, career two eighty six hitter right now by Fangraphs, career three forty three on base. I mean, Edgar Renteria with a little less speed, a little more power. I think that's a decent comp. He had a fifteen year career, including a couple years in Atlanta. Thirty five WAR for his career. I mean, that that's a good, solid, strong career. It's not what you want from a guy that was top five prospect in baseball number one overall pick but you have to consider that some of these prospects completely flame out and don't give you anything let alone 35 war in their career
1: yeah if you told me he was going to just do that I'd be okay with it I I would take it I I think it's uh, possible that that danceby does better than that but at the same time like I think the Braves you know I know that he was number one overall pick. The Braves didn't pay that kind of price for him, which also helps when you're talking about what they paid to acquire him. They didn't use their number one overall pick, their own number one overall pick on him. They traded for him in what we all know was a heist of a trade. So it's one of those things where it doesn't really matter if he fills up to that hype. He just needs to be a good player for a long time, which I think he still can be. We've seen that. Um, I think his defense has been interesting. I, I certainly uh, not really minded. I think errors are overrated. I do people... I do think a lot of fans think he's bad defensively, which is just not true. Um, but do you think, and, and we'll get we'll get away from Dan's in a second, but do you think his glove plays, like, is he above average with, with the glove at this point in time? Obviously, you know, as, as a guy's age, it can change in a hurry, especially when you get a little bit older, it can go downhill in a hurry. But do you think his glove is enough for him to stick there? I mean, there was some, there's a lot of, uh, I would say, some uh, consternation about him actually being a good shortstop. I think he is, but I'm wondering how you feel about it.
0: I mean, I think they'll keep him there for...
1: As long as they can.
0: <laughs> as long as they can, yeah, because aside from Albie, there's not somebody that can that they can just slot into that position. There's not like an Andrew Androden Simmons waiting in the wings. How slow will we get to watch him for what was it four years? I think that kind of raised the bar a little bit too. But when you have a guy like that, you can just get the job done. He's not a complete butcher out there. He's not Adonis Garcia at third base from two years ago. I mean, they'll keep him there as long as they can keep him there with uh, with him just producing at the plate. And as long as they don't have somebody pushing at him, they'll they'll let him play the position.
1: Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I and mean, you know, Fangrass grades him out as an above average um, as an above average shortstop so far this year. You know, defensive run save wise, he's actually a negative two, which is not awful. Um, not great either. so we'll, I think a lot we're gonna kind of w- have to wait to see how people uh, sort of grade him out on a, on a larger scale. you know uzr wise is about he's about flat. It's so not, not great, not, not awful either. He's not like he's an absolute butcher, as you said there. So worth talking about, uh, although he is still very young. I don't think we know exactly what he's going to be as, as a glove guy yet, but um, worth, uh, worth discussing. Um, sort of a natural bridge into talking about Albies a little bit. Um, he's obviously a lot younger. Let's want even less data on him, not being that he's only 20 and now has, uh, as of today, 160 plate appearances, but it's been very good. Um, in, his, in his small sample, he has a 105 uh, WRC plus uh, grades out well defensively. Obviously, the speed element really helps as well. What have you seen from Albies? Do you th- Sorry, are, are, are you as sold, less sold, or more sold on him than what you thought about as a prospect? Given that you know he has uh, been a you know a, an above average regular uh, for a small sample size here.
0: He's hitting a lot more than I thought he would be. I thought he would be like a 90 95 WRC plus kind of guy. Now, like you said, he's at 110. That's kind of that's. That's really good for a guy like him who's only been up for, you said, 160 plate appearances. That's that's not a huge sample, and uh, he's playing really well from what I've seen so far. I don't expect him to keep hitting like this. I mean, a lot of that offensive value comes from him hitting, I want to say, five or six triples, which is something that, I mean, it looks good, but I don't think it's something that's really sustainable once uh Guys start learning how to play him a little better once he gets starts going through the league the second or third time. But so far, so good for his uh, major league debut so far.
1: Yeah, I do think you know that's a good point about about the the extra bases. I do think he's going to actually hit more singles. You know, right now he has a um, as of today his BABIP is only 328, where he was regularly in the sort of three you know 370 380 range in the minors. I think it might be a little bit lower than that, but with his speed. I can't imagine he's going to be a, a 328 bag-up guy long term, so that that'll probably help a little bit there, sort sort of balance it out a little bit. I think he'll be a more a little bit of a higher average guy. I think his pop has been uh, a little bit overblown so far, but at the same time, like people thought he he was just this, this like pure slap hitter and he's not that. He has a little bit of pop in the bat, not not necessarily home run pop, although he does have uh, now 11 home runs this year across levels. I think that's probably going to be on the high end, but you know he's he definitely has doubles power. He's not like he's, he's going to be a pure you know guy who gets 200 hits and have 100. 90 of them be singles he's not not that kind of guy I've been very impressed again it's worth noting just like it was with Swanson a year ago that it's a very small sample here Uh, he's 20 he's even younger than Swanson was Um, but you know playing second base he's looked good there I think he could certainly be a good shortstop if he was moved there at some point uh, down the line or if he gets traded etc um i just i like i like what i've seen uh, he's still so young but i've uh, all the fear that i had about him being promoted too quickly is starting to fade away a little bit here obviously you know 160 play appearances isn't enough for me to, to to not have any fear at all but he's held his own and much more than that And at 20 man that's that's pretty darn impressive
0: yeah i mean unless he gets injured in the next 6 months or so he's He's going to be in the opening day lineup next season with the way he's played so far. There's no reason not to do that. And at least he's not getting thrown in cold turkey. He's getting this minor league call-up. He's getting some plate appearances to close out the season. So he kind of knows what to expect. The coaching staff, whoever will be left after this season, will know what to expect with him going forward. And there's going to be something to build on there for him, which I think is good after he kind of uh, shot through the minors a little bit quickly last season.
1: For sure. I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned the coaching staff. It's something I was actually, I wasn't sure I was going to ask you, but now, now I'm going to because I feel like it. Um, before we get into some rotation stuff, which is sort of the meat of this podcast um, today, looking ahead to rotation for next year. But before I before I, we get to that, I have to ask about the Rosenthal piece uh, from a couple of weeks ago. We talked about it on last week's podcast, but sort of the front office. Um, I don't know, volatility maybe is the word and uh, sort of in conjunction with Brian Snicker. Obviously, I'm not saying that either of us have inside info, but what's your read on the front office right now and, of course, how that met how that best with Snicker because, as we've said over and over again, Snicker's re- really on a one-year contract and uh, he's not assured of being around next year. We, we heard a lot about him a couple of, uh, I guess it's almost like two months ago now, like almost certainly coming back. And since then, that's sort of cooled a little bit. So I know I'm, not, I'm asking you an unfair question, but what would you make about the uh, Rosenthal thing especially?
0: The piece I thought was very interesting. I saw some people kind of immediately poo-poo it and write it off as just kind of creating drama for the sake of drama. But I thought it was interesting how some of the the old lieutenants from back in the day were being shifted around into more prominent roles. Because that's totally what we need to do. Recreate the <laughs> mid-to-late 2000s when the team was completely struggling. Let, let's go back to those guys 10 years later. That's exactly what the Braves need to do. And these guys, like Sherholds and Cox, I mean, they, they've done so much for this organization. They, they don't need to be involved in the day-to-day anymore. They need to just step aside and realize that the old-school, quote-unquote, Braves way, it worked then, now you can't just depend on that one axiom. You need to, you need to do more than that. This organization is now not, you know, a top five, top ten payroll organization like the Braves were in the '90s, which is another reason why they were able to win so much. I mean, since the uh, since the sale of the team, they haven't run payrolls like that. They've gotten lapped in the division. Even teams like the Mets are spending more money than them. And I think the team needs to look in the mirror and realize, OK, we need to decide what we're going to do. Are we going to be this kind of mid to low level payroll club? And if so, we can't kind of look at this way of trying to patch the roster each year with stop cap guys like Cologne and Dickie and Garcia. And they just need to. Stick to a plan. It, it, I feel like the goalposts have been shifting a lot lately, and that is absolutely not good for strategy.
1: Yeah, i firmly I'm firmly in lockstep with you there. I just think uh, part of the problem, and you know, I'll be the first to say I don't have access to the uh, – the uh, inner workings of the front office, so I have to take Ken Rosenthal, as good of a reporter he is, as he is I had his word there to a, to an extent. But um, the path, that, the stuff that we can see publicly, like the parallel path stuff, go, basically going out and uh, you know faking it and trying to act like you were going to compete, uh, especially this year, but even the last couple of years, doing these like half measures. I understand to a certain extent placating um, to your fan base and trying to say, look, guys, we're not going to be awful, um, but. But if you do that, you better not be awful. That's my whole thing, and they've been pretty bad the last couple of years. And uh, you know, a lot of that's been good. I mean, they've they've done a very, very good job of overhauling the farm system. The the future is still quite bright. But at the same time, like they could have gone a little bit further. I think you did not see the uh, organizations like 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 the Cubs and the Astros um, doing those half measures, and uh, that actually worked out quite well for them. Um, It was ugly for a while, and that's something that Braves fans need to be prepared for. And a lot of that's just impatience by the fan base, I'd imagine. uh, In and the front office trying to placate to them and try to sell some tickets this year, especially at the new ballpark. But it's tough. Um, the stuff we can see, uh, it's not ideal. And you know, I'll, I'll always say this. I've said that a million times. But they they didn't they they, they actually did no favors of Brian Snicker by giving him basically a one year contract as well. So you have a guy you know trying to manage for his job effectively um, because you didn't give him a real contract. And, you know, I'm not the biggest Knicker fan in the world, but at least you could have, you know, if you were going to give him the job, you could have actually given him the job, if that makes sense. So it's sort of all these factors sort of banging on, banging against each other to make this very weird setup. And then you have Sherholtz and Cox around, especially Sherholtz. I mean, it seems like Bobby is sort of on the periphery, but Sherholtz, uh, at least in the way that it's been portrayed, is still like sort of diving into the day-to-day more than he probably should have, should be at this point in time. So. It's this, you know, this huge mess, and you know, not knowing who the manager is going to be next year is kind of a big thing. Who's making the final decisions? That's, that was one of the big questions of that piece: was whether Copy or Hart or even Sherholtz is actually the final say on this stuff. And uh, you can kind of look down the uh, the line of transactions and kind of see what moves feel like Copy moves, what moves feel like Hart moves, and what what moves feel like even Sherholtz moves. And it's not that difficult. You know, we, we don't know exactly who's making those calls, but uh, you can make an informed opinion uh, based on if you sort of look at the way these guys operate so it's kind of tough and the power struggle thing sort of rang true to me because of that if that makes sense
0: yeah that's exactly what uh what i was thinking how it seems like there's divisions in the front office and what they do can you can really look at it and say oh okay i think so and so made this move i think so and so kind of pushed for this move and going back to uh only only getting a one-year deal i mean I'm okay with that, but if you're going to do that, you, you kind of have to pick up his option like sometime before the end of July. Otherwise, you're really just telling him, we don't want you here. We need to let you go. And it's just not a good look to leave him just dangling for so long. I mean, the Phillies had uh, Pete McCann on a one-year deal, and they picked up his option. Uh, Gosh, I think in May or June they picked his option up pretty quick. So I would have liked to seen the Braves do that instead of just kind of letting Snicker wave in the wind and not make a firm decision either way.
1: Yeah, I mean that was my whole thing. Like I didn't like it when they gave him the job, frankly. Um, but at the same time, if you in, if you were going to give him the job, give him the rope that you need to be a good, effective manager. You don't want a guy, you know, managing for his job during a rebuild, and that I mean to. To Snickers, uh, I don't know, I, I didn't love this, but like at the same time, I sort of understand why he would lean on veterans as much as he did, as much as I hated it. At the time, I get it why you would do that when you're trying to win games and trying to save your job, so to speak, for next year. So, yeah, they've not done him any favors at all. I have no idea whether he'll be back or not. There was a lot of momentum earlier that was asked for have him coming back, and now that's sort of faded away for whatever reason. I'm not saying that it's not going to happen, but it's one of those things where you don't hear as much about Snicker coming back now with the way that the team sort of swooned there for a couple of weeks and months. So it's all up in the air, but worth worth discussing a little bit here. Um we can get it sort of the meat of the podcast now. I wanted to ask you a bunch of questions about the uh, sort of the, the future of the rotation. A couple of guys specifically, um, first being Luis Gohara, made his debut last week. We've only seen one start from Luis, but and he's obviously only 21 years old. But uh, he was not great in that start. But it sort of goes to goes into the discussion because uh, you know him him arriving this quickly as a 21 year old is interesting because uh, there are there should be at least a couple of spots up for grabs ish. For next year in the rotation, we obviously have not seen enough from him to really make a, make a call on that, but would it blow you away if he was in the rotation next
0: year? Uh, no. I mean, they've pushed him aggressively all year. I mean, he started off in high A and really moved through the organization quicker than I think anyone expected. And from what I've seen of him, I, I don't think things could have gone better for him. I think... I think if he has another couple of rough starts, they may consider leaving him in Gwinnett to start the year since he didn't spend a ton of time there. and He still could use a little more season. He's, not, he's far from a finished product right now. And, and let's be honest, the Braves aren't exactly going to be fighting for wins next season. They're not going to try, be trying to get that playoff spot. So they can afford to just kind of let him mature a little bit, see what they have there. But yeah, overall, I was uh, I was actually pretty impressed with the first start. I know it wasn't, I know it wasn't as great as we all expected. But he was getting squeezed by the ump. He was, and he tried to keep himself in sync, but the calls kept getting there, getting bad and worse and worse. He kept getting squeezed, and it was, and then eventually the dam just burst, and he was gone. But overall. For a 21 year old in his first major league start, it was pretty good.
1: Yeah, he wasn't awful by any means. And uh, to your point about AAA, he only had seven starts and only 35 and a third innings in Gwinnett, so not a ton of time there. But they obviously were impressed enough um, by his stuff and the fact that he he pitched fairly well there as well to uh, to promote him. Uh, you know circumstances do matter here and that the rotation is kind of unsettled right now at the major league level and that's sort of probably aided in it a little bit but moving as fast as he did um, very impressive he has a you know he has a great arm there's no question about that and uh, as we'll talk about here in a second there are are some spots available so wouldn't blow me away Uh, we'll learn a lot I think in the next couple of weeks about maybe uh, what the track is because if he does struggle like you said uh, I think he'll I must, they're not going to they're, they're not. gonna close the door on him, but I, I don't think it'll be a situation where we're all penciling him in for a rotation spot if he does struggle. But if he's good in the next couple of weeks, much as that sample is not huge, I think that probably will go a long way towards instilling some confidence in him to be a member of the rotation for next year. A um, couple of guys, though, that are we, we assume will be in rotation next year, Mike Fultonavich and Julio Tehran, have been... Um, <sighs> certainly, this is, certainly Julio has been disappointing. I, I don't want to say Fulte, that fulty has been disappointing necessarily. It kind of depends on who you ask. I guess we could start with Julio because this has obviously been the worst year he, he, that he's had in a while, even two years ago when he uh, sort of famously struggled in 2015. With, he, had a, he had an ERA over four. Uh, this year has been much worse than that. What have you seen from him? Are you giving up hope on Julio bouncing back? I mean, That's sort of premature in my mind, but uh, it's definitely not been good. Even the peripherals are uh, are ugly compared to what he was doing in the past. So where are you at with Julio, and his, is he still a guy that can be relied upon um, for 2018 and beyond?
0: I still don't know what he is. I mean, we've seen him... Which is crazy. <laughs> I think I've seen, we've seen him since 2011, and we still... I, I have no idea what I'm getting out of him. I think he's still... That guy with like number two potential, but he hasn't been able to put like two or three seasons together like that. He always takes a step back. This year, I think we can blame some of it on the new park and him maybe not knowing how it was going to play and the struggles at first. He's pitched a bit better lately. He hasn't been as bad as he was early on, but still just hasn't been good enough. I think they're. I'm, I absolutely think he's in their plans for next season. His trade value right now is minimal, so it's not as if they're going to give him away for 10 cents on the dollar. But I just don't know if he's that guy that is going to be like the long-term ace. And when his contract comes up in a couple of years, I don't know if they would look to sign him to another extension or if they would just say something along the lines of thanks for the service or going in the other direction now that we have all these young Uber prospects that are here.
1: Yeah, I think 2018 will be big for Tehran because, uh, you know, he, as you kind of said there, he's had trouble stringing positive seasons together. He did have back to back good years in 2013, and 2014, um, but since then it's been up and down, up and down. I think if it's down again next year, you start to worry a little bit more. Uh, but he does have this Jekyll Hyde um, thing going where, um, you know, I will say, in his bad season, twenty fifteen, he was still better than this. So it's one of those things where there's a little bit of cause for concern. Um, you mentioned the uh, the home road splits. He's been really really bad at home. Um, I think uh, more than anything, his individual performance has, has done more to um, sort of contribute to the myth of SunTrust Park being this like course field east than anything else that in the broadcast. I will say, um, oh, just just because of how bad Julio has been at home and how decent he's been on the road. I think his ERA is like somewhere in the very low threes away from South Trust Park, so if you're looking for something to take solace in, that's probably it. Um, at the same time, though, he's he's very young. He's very cheap, so you, you don't want to give up on him because... Uh, even you know, even with as bad as he's been this year, he's still been worth a half a win, which is not good. But it's not like he's just been a catastrophe either. Um, there, there are a lot of nights where, he, where he's been competitive for you. Um, but yeah, you need you need you need more out of him for sure. Um, it's definitely looking like people that wanted him traded um, before this season were quote unquote right in this instance. But it would not blow me away at all if he came back next year and was suddenly the guy who's going to have that you know mid to low three ERA again and was uh, looking like a number two starter. So. I'm kind of with you. It's kind of you know, it's, it's hilarious given that he's pitched almost almost a thousand innings in the big leagues that we don't know what he is. But I think your 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 points kind of spot on there that we kind of don't.
0: I fi- I kind of felt the same way about Tommy Hansen, although he never really kind of ended up turning the corner again. He kind of peaked early, and then slowly started petering out, and a lot of that you can blame on injuries. With with Julio, there really haven't been injuries. He does not miss time. The dude goes out and always is a. 30 start pitcher so uh, there's really no obvious reason no real thing to point at here which i think makes it all the more confusing
1: yeah that's definitely the weirdest thing is that there's not that obvious sort of takeaway even in watching him every start it's not like there's anything to really grab grasp onto it's to say this is what's going on there are different days when he's bad at certain things and good at certain things but not a whole lot of consistency there uh As for uh, Fultonavich, who will be 26 here in October. He's not as young as people think he is. Um, same sort of thing you know this has been his best season if you look at uh, the war numbers um, and but his ERA is actually higher than it was last year he's just pitched more this year basically you know if you if you broke down war by start he's definitely would be a little bit lower this year all of his numbers aside from his K rate are uh, worse this year than they were a year ago what have you seen from Fulte? Um I think people were expecting a little bit of a bigger jump and he's had some he's had some very very bright starts and, and I think more of those this year than there were in the past there's also been some really bad blow-ups as well which is always sort of the knock on him coming up right now I
0: think he's just gassed because he's had a long year he's pitched a lot this season and I just don't think he has anything left in the tank I would probably actually shut him down for the rest of the season even though it's only a couple more weeks I would just give him a pat on the back tell him good year rest up for next season worry about that then and just go from there because when he's been on he's been incredible. I mean, you remember the near no-hitter in Oakland. He was at his best that night. It was just a sight to see, but lately it's been ugly and uh, the fatigue, I'm 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 really thinking that as we've seen him in recent months just start to fall apart, I really think the fatigue is the main issue causing all that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's probably worth noting though I it's, it's just tough for me to figure out what he is either because if you look at his peripherals, they're pretty decent. I mean, you know, eight, about eight and a half strikeouts per nine, about three and a half walks – you like to see the walks go down a little bit because we saw him do about two and a half uh, a year ago. That's kind of interesting that it's gone up a little bit, but I think that you know everything that you want to see from him has, is there in terms of tools. It's just sort of stringing it all together, and it's maddening in some ways because he is so bad. When he's when he's bad, he is very bad. You don't see him a lot of times like uh, getting through five innings where he doesn't have his stuff. It's more of like that I'm gonna I'm gonna absolutely blow up thing than a lot of guys that you would like to see. That's my concern, and again, he isn't that young. It's sort of that thing where people are expecting this breakout from him. I'm not sure it's ever coming because he'll be 26 next year, and it's not that old either. But like, it's one of those things where like people treat people treat like 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 he's probably 22, and he's just not that young. So, ages and everything, and there isn't a whole lot of mileage on the arm aside from this year. You know, this this year is um, you know more than uh, I guess almost half of his career innings. But it's a uh, it's it's a tough. Uh, Sort of scouting right scouting report right now just because I'm not sure what he is either.
0: It's funny you mention the age thing because that reminds me of uh, one of the guys that uh, he was traded for, and uh, Evan Gaddis, and that everyone kept talking about him as like this uber young prospect with great hitting skill. But Evan Gaddis was you know he was born in 1986. The Braves traded when I think he was 29. He was old. There's not a lot to dream on there. And he was getting talked about like he was Ozzie Alves or (laughs) Anthony Swanson. And it just wasn't like that. I think that's kind of the same uh, plan we kind of fall into with Fulty. We think of him as this super young prospect, but he's really not all that young.
1: Yeah, it's interesting with Gaddis because that was the obviously that was a return. It's uh, that deal still looks good to me. I was never a big Gaddis guy. I know a lot of Braves fans really really like Gaddis, but the age thing was important, and he's sort of a one trick pony as well. So that that's that deal still still looks pretty good to me, even if it doesn't necessarily pan out. But yeah, worth uh, looking through that prism a little bit on Fulty. Um, I guess the big, you know, sort of the transition question there is uh, the 2018 rotation. I think we probably know that the two guys we just talked about are going to be in it, barring uh, injury with Julio and uh, Fulty, and then you have uh, a lot of different guys. You have Sean Newcomb. You have an option on R.A. Dickey. You have, you know, tons of guys, Luis Gohara. There's all these options. If I asked you today what you think it's going to look like, obviously without knowing uh, what the free agency is going to look like or whether a trade is going to happen, kind of where are you with that?
0: this is not in like one to five order. This is just kind of as like the level of confidence, I guess you'd say I have in being in the rotation. Uh, I do think that picking up the Dickey, the Dickey option is going to be a slam dunk because it's not that expensive. I think it's only eight or 9 million, which in this, these days in baseball, that's absolutely nothing for a guy that will give you 170, 200 innings. That's so I think that's an easy decision for the Braves to make. I think they'll, do that in a heartbeat as soon as they can, and they won't have to worry about that at all. Then it starts getting tricky. Tehran's contract is cheap, and he has no value right now, so I think he's staying. Fulty is kind of the guy that, you know, they've been dreaming on for a couple of years, and he's still cheap, so I think he's going to be around as well. Then the last two spots, man, it's... I do like what they're doing in that it's kind of like a game of Survivor where they're taking these marginal players and determining whether or not they have a spot in the team for the future. Like, uh, I think we've seen the last of Matt Whistler. I think we've seen the last of uh, Aaron Blair. I think Lucas Sims could end up following them down that path sometime soon because he really hasn't been all that impressive. So today... I mean, the obvious choice would be Newcomb and Gohara. I don't think there's much left with Newcomb. I think he's uh, I think he's a guy that the Braves kind of overrated, and uh, it's not really going well for them. Gohara, they're obviously incredibly high on. And I think the rest of the changes are going to end up coming in midseason because a lot of these top prospects are already at uh, – Double-A, they're starting to move up the ladder, like uh, Colby Allard, for one, who's been sensational so far. I think he's a guy that could be there maybe second half of next season. And I think that when some of these young guys just aren't showing them anything, they're going to just move on from them quickly.
1: Yeah, I think we're uh, in lockstep there as well. I mean, I'd be surprised if we ever saw Whistler Blair as a real option again. Maybe they're they're around – um, but not like as a real rotation guy, maybe a, an emergency guy that they pluck out of that or pluck out of the bullpen, but I don't really see that necessarily. Um, I'm with you kind of all, on all those things, though. I, I do think it's at least conceivable that they go out and make the big move this this uh, offseason for, for, for a cost-controlled starter, You know, kind of regardless of who that might be. I won't tell you that I know who that is. Um, I'm with you all the way, though, on Newcomb. It's one of those things where I have um, probably do this too often, but I always bring up the trade and how much I hated it at the time, how much I still hate it. Um, and it's, that's not Sean Newcomb's fault. It's, uh, it's important to note that because he didn't make the trade. Um, but I just, I just kind of never, I've never seen it um with Newcomb I understand what the appeal is because he has that uh, he has an impressive arm he's left-handed etc cetera, etc cetera. but I just have never seen it really with Newcomb it's too early to slam the door on it um I think he's going to be in rotation next year just because he's there and uh they are highly invested him in him obviously because he was the he was the trade um it wasn't the only piece of the trade but he was certainly certainly the centerpiece of it it looks like a one for one right about now so I don't know man um None of these guys are terribly impressive um, to me, which is sort of the problem we're talking about next year. I think a lot of Braves fans, kind of like this year, but almost more so, are going to be expecting the team to be uh, sort of in that 500 range by next year. And if you look at the rotation and what the options are coming back, unless they go out and get that number one guy from elsewhere... Not this is not an eighty. This is not a low eighties one rotation. It's just not that. And even I guess if the high side of every single one of these guys hits, if Julio becomes the guy who has the low uh, the low three zra again, and Fulte maxes out, and all this, if everything hits perfectly, then maybe. But like that takes a lot of ifs to get to that point.
0: Yeah, you gave me a lot to digest here, so let me try to knock it down point (laughs) by point. Uh, First off, with the Newcomb Simmons trade, which. I, I, like you, didn't understand at the time, but when I saw the uh, Swanson trade, it made, it made a little more sense because you at least have that long-term shortstop in the organization. But what confused me about it is the next year in the draft when they went so heavy on pitching – To the point where it's not like Sean Newcomb is the unquestioned top pitching prospect in the organization. You've got so many guys now fighting for, I know they're all super raw and won't be there for a while, but you have all of these guys fighting for all these slots. So why do you need someone like Newcomb in case he has ace potential for the two seasons before the guys like Ian Anderson and Joey Wentz and I guess Kyle Mueller and all them are ready? it's just kind of silly in hindsight that they got this guy and were are so happy with him. And then he immediately gets kind of shuffled down the pecking order. Seems, seems a little ridiculous to me.
1: Yeah, um, that's about right. I, I do think one final point on that, I know this has probably been litigated too often, um, but I want to say it anyway. Um, I do think Nuka probably got overrated a little bit because he was sort of the only prospect in the angels, in the angels organization. Uh, so he was, he was their number one guy. Um, and, you know, when you, when you when you get another team's number one overall prospect, it almost seems like a bigger deal than it probably actually was. That's only a little thing in terms of perception, but I do think that matters. Like, obviously, the annual system was awful. And that's not to say that Newcomb is a non-prospect, because he is certainly a prospect. You can see why people like him because of the upside. If everything came together, he could be awesome. I do sure, think get a, a little he, he, bit.
0: He's a pitching prospect, and as you know, there's no such thing as pitching prospects. And, and sure enough, because the Angels' farm system was so bad, and they got the best guy from that farm system, I mean, you kind of have to grab on to something, so that's kind of what we were grabbing onto. to. And, and he's the last one left from that trade, because Eric Ibar's gone, and Chris Ellis went to the uh, Cardinals in the Jaime Garcia deal, so that's all we got left.
1: Sorry, Sean. For uh, It's not your fault. Again, we should say that. It's not his fault. Um, <laughs> before we get away from pitching, I do want to ask about the bullpen. Um, in general, this year has not been great, but especially lately. I got, I got this from Mark Bowman earlier in this week, but uh, this is a couple, days, a couple days old now. But at, at one point this uh, this week, the Braves had five of the National League's 11 worst relief ERAs since mid-July. It was Jim Johnson with over 10. Rex Brothers somewhere in the 9.5 range. Matt Whistler at 8.25. Um <laughs> Jackson, 7.16, and Ian Kroll at about 7. So that's that's probably – that's arbitrary Pointing things to death. But if you look at the season-long numbers, Jim Johnson, 5.81. Ian Kroll has been a disaster at 5.89. This season, you know, Luke Jackson's not been any great shakes. Whistler's been really bad. The Eric O'Flaherty experiment earlier on in the year, it's no longer a thing, obviously. Um, Rex Brothers, 8.5 ERA uh it's been really ugly in the bullpen aside from Jose aside from Jose Ramirez who is uh so, you know strongly overachieved and Sam Freeman's been really good but aside from those guys and I guess Roydas who we all kind of know is good um a lot of hit and miss there but more misses than hits i guess
0: yeah uh out of those 5 guys you mentioned that had the terrible ERAs, the only one I ever really want to see again is Luke Jackson because he's yes. a, he's actually shown some signs of being like a competent reliever this year. Ian Kroll's been a disaster. I Jim mean that's Johnson, that's
1: the one for me. Like <laughs> Ian Kroll just falling off the face of the earth, really hurt. I'll say that.
0: Yeah, yeah, cuz I mean, I remember coming in we're like, okay, Ian Kroll's like locked down a spot in this bullpen. He's gonna be like the Braves' third best reliever. And he has just really, really stunk. And Mauricio Cabrera also going to Gwinnett and never ever coming back. I think that kind of caught us all a bit off guard after the strong debut he had last season. That was that was a bit of a shocker, but Whistler, I mean, we thought it might be able to work as a reliever. It, it can't work as a reliever. Jim Johnson started off really strong, but no, he's, he looks done to me. And Rex Brothers is the weird one because his peripherals really aren't that bad, but his ERA is just disgusting, and it does not make sense to me at all.
1: Yeah, uh, he's not been as bad, I think, as the numbers, as you kind of said there. but um, and, and he's not really a, a center a centerpiece of, of the long-term future. He's not that young. It's one of those things where he was sort of just brought in as a guy but you know I was you know Jim Johnson's the big one cuz you owe him money he was your closer entering the season and him just blowing up was not ideal but I think Ian Kroll like, is the one that flies under the radar as a guy that you needed to be good and that just hasn't been good but I mean there's other guys you know Sam Freeman's been a revelation I've really kind of enjoyed his work this year uh, by the way as we were talking I'm looking at Mauricio Cabrera's numbers from this year and remembering why he did not why he never came back um, 8.54 walks per 9 in 26 innings in Gwinnett. <laughs> Man, that was always the knock on him,
0: but hey, last season in the majors it wasn't there.
1: And by the way, it was even back. it was even worse in double A in fourteen innings. Um it was eleven point eight five walks per nine. So uh, we know what we know why he never came like,
0: back. <laughs> that's like Craig Kimbrell during that one year in the minors where he got like sent back down to Rome and walked a batter an inning. Except uh, you know, Cabrera is not Craig Kimbrell and he will not be getting traded to the Red Sox for like four top prospects anytime soon,
1: yeah, that's probably safe to assume, but uh, worth, yeah, Woo, I just had I, I, did, I really didn't know that. So I was just sort of doing some uh, some on the fly research, and that would explain why we've never uh, heard from Maurice Cabrera again. Um, just wanted to throw that out there, just as a number that I, you know, shout out to Mark Bowman again for providing that. But I just kind of didn't hit me out how bad the bullpen had been for about two months here, and that is uh, that, that's how you lose games in a hurry. It's been better recently, which is how you win more games. It's not not a surprise that you've now won four or five when your bullpen's been a little bit better. But yikes. Um, okay. Well, before we uh, before I let you get out of here, man, I do want to ask you um, a couple of these mailbag questions. Um, that we got in this week from some from listeners. Uh, one of them is from Robbie Tinsley, and he says, "On a scale from one to ten, how angry will you be when Nick Markakis is, the, is in the Braves opening day lineup in 2018?"
0: I would probably be, I'd probably be like a four because I'm kind of resigned to it. Oh, Lord. I'll I'll be mad at like an eight if he's like hitting fourth or fifth, which I'm also resigned to
1: uh <laughs> that sounds about right actually I was, I was having an offline conversation today with someone I trust and Braves land um about sort of the the clearest path to not have the corner guys be Matt Kemp and Matt Markekis I think it's almost certainly that Markekis is not around because Kemp is just sort of I don't want to say immovable but close to it with the contract for two more years whereas Markekis only has one but I do think it's at least possible he's not around and I think uh, sort of weirdly, the uh, the development of Lane Adams almost helps that. I'm not a huge Lane Adams guy, but the fact that he's been, uh, you know, decent enough, especially with the glove and on the base pass, to where if he hits it even a little bit, it makes it a little bit easier to move on. And obviously, you have Ronald Acuna who'd be the real reason to move on from Arcatus. So I wouldn't blow me away, but I kind of I'm I'm almost resigned too. I'm not quite as resigned as you'll be. I'll be more mad about it than you will be. I think is my answer. I think I'll probably be like a seven if Marquez is starting in right field. But yeah, wow. it it, ele- it elevates uh, it elevates to like a nine or ten if he, as you said there, is hitting in one of the power spots because even when Marquez, even early in the contract, it would drive me crazy when he was suddenly hitting fourth or fifth. And it's like, guys, he doesn't have any power. He's never had power. And this is, we're now on uh, the end of year three of his Brave stand. At no point has he had power. And, he, and Snicker deploys him as if he is a... Uh, power hitter he's just not his one marketable skill on a baseball field is the fact that he gets on base so put him in a spot where he gets on base remember that
0: remember that first season when he had like four homers and he was still hitting cleanup every night i mean it was it was it it was defied explanation
1: he would hit it he would hit cleanup more now if they didn't have matt because matt can't you know if he exists he has to hit cleanup um, so, you know, if not Kemp wasn't around, you'd see Marquez hit fourth and fifth every night. I'm convinced of it. It's just one of those things where the Brian Snickers school is that you have to have a middle infielder hit second and you have to have a corner outfielder hit in the middle of the lineup. It doesn't matter who it is. Um, that's over- oversimplifying it, but, you know, Marquez can be useful. He's not entirely useless. It's just that his one skill is getting on base um, and they don't put him in a position where that is the most important thing. So, I don't know, man. I. I i probably overstay it. Maybe, maybe I'll be a 6. Or, maybe I'll be a 6. I'll say 6 if he's in the lineup and uh, up to 7 or higher if things go awry. But I won't be pleased. I'll say that. Especially if it... I don't know. It's not that it has to be run on Acuna. I understand if they want to keep his uh, service time down. I understand all of that. But uh, it would be a lot more fun if he was playing.
0: Oh, as an, yes. As a 2018. I am looking very much forged to the Ronald Acuna experience. That's going to be a blast.
1: That is uh, Baseball America Minority Player of the Year, Ronald Acuna, by the way, which we should have said something about earlier in the podcast. But uh, shouts to our old pal Carlos Colazo who is over there and part of that uh, whole operation. So uh, I got uh, – immediately when that was announced, I had I had him, send him sending me a link to say, hey, here's our guy, by the way, because you want to talk about him. I'm like, yeah, I, I got it, man. I have Twitter. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay. The only other thing I was going to ask you, and this is a, this is an interesting one for me from Brennan Thomas, and he says, which prospect, that, which prospect that we don't hear about all that often, impresses you the most? Um, and he, his guy is Camargo. Basically, I, I'm, I'm turning this into a question to ask you about who, like your quote-unquote guy, is in the system, and it's, kind of, it's sort, of some, sort of something I ask of a lot of people. Um, I don't want you to tell me that you're a huge fan of Ronald Acuna because everybody is, but who's your who's your deeper guy that you sort of like that you, more than the consensus people do?
0: Well, last year when we did this little fun game, yes. I said my guy was Joey Wentz, who I believe was named Braves Minor League Pitcher of the Year this year.
1: You nailed that, my friend. I, I, I was—I had that in my notes to bring up if you didn't, so congratulations on, on patting yourself on the back instead of me doing it for you. Hey,
0: blind squirrel <laughs> finds a nut every so often. No, you nailed it. But uh, my guy this year, uh, he's not really a Prospect in the sense that he's, you know, he's kind of older. He's already gotten a cup of coffee in the majors, and for for whatever reason, he didn't stick. Because I can't even explain why. But I really like Akeel Morris. I think he's a guy that could be an effective reliever for a few years, and this organization needs effective relievers right now. So why not bring him up and let him just? Fire away in the heart of that bullpen. It just does not make sense to me. He's a guy I would like to see get a full chance next season. And you know what? If he struggles and stinks, eh, it's a reliever. No big deal.
1: Yeah, I mean he's still only twenty four, we twenty five in November. The walk rates where you worry about Morris, but like again, I'm kind of with you. Like give give him a shot. He's got a great arm. Like every single stop, by the way, throughout the minors, uh, even in his like small stints, he has a he has a double digit strikeout rate um very good stuff from uh from a right-hander you know i think it can, it can play not necessarily in this high leverage thing but he, he could be that guy if he pops and i think he's uh, one of the more talented he's definitely a pure reliever like he's not a sexy guy as you said but i like him too so i'm glad you hear you i hear you say that because i've always been sort of a fan of akil morris I'm, I'm i've sort of been wondering why he's not been around more uh so it sounds like you agree with that for sure um i don't know just give, give the guy a chance there's no reason not to uh, before I let you get out of here, I do have to ask you if you have a take because uh, I got a lot of feedback on my, um, on my rant last week about Freddie Freeman's wrist and my anger about the way they've handled the Freddie Freeman situation. So if you have an opinion, you can share it. Because I want, I want to hear it. I think I I think I know where you are on it based on Twitter. But if you want to share that, please do. If you don't want to share it, that's fine. Because uh, I got some feedback. I'll say that. I got some feedback on my rant. And I was not very happy about it. But uh, where are you with Freddy and him? Uh, I think the, the sort of the tipping point for me this week, if there was another one, was that he played both games with double doubleheader. And it's like, come on, guys. Really? Twice in one day? He's playing? <laughs>
0: The situation with Freeman's wrist is an absolute joke right now. There we go. He should not be playing at all, let alone every day, including back-to-back games of a doubleheader with, like, three hours in between. He
1: played a doubleheader on a broken wrist! Gives the
0: guy a day off. I mean, it's... It's madness. The team isn't going to the playoffs. The team isn't going to finish above 500. What do you have to gain from playing Freeman every day? It's not like, oh, Freddie Freeman's in the lineup. We're going to sell 8,000 more T-shirts and pay two days of his contract. You're not going to get anything. He's going to be looked at as, oh, Captain plays every day, and he's such a great team player. But does that really matter if he further aggravates the wrist and it screws up possibly the rest of his career? Just let the man rest. It's not that big of a deal. No one, absolutely no one is going to judge you if Freddie Freeman is not on the field seven days a week, (laughs) 159 games a year. Come on,
1: man. <laughs> oh, that might be copyright. I shouldn't have said that. No, it's, oh well, it's fine. Uh, I think we're okay on that. No, I, obviously, I'm uh, I'm with you on this one, and uh, it's not not Freddie's fault. I understand why he wants to play. Somebody has to be the bigger person and take him out of the lineup. There, there is a school of thought that I've heard from people that I I think are smart um, of why he want to play. Um, I just disagree with it. I just don't I don't see the upside at all, um, especially. And I'm, I'm not even arguing that he has to be shut down. I'm, I'm with you that I would shut him down. But at the very least, just give the guy a day off. I, I've said it a million times now. And uh, when, he, when he came out and said on the record that a doctor told him to take the day off and they still didn't is when I lost my mind. And that's when my rant happened. And then uh, you and I are on the same page with this. I, I wasn't 100% sure that you were going to say that on the podcast. I thought you were. But uh, I, 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 I took a risk. <laughs> what,
0: who, do, who do I have to worry about offending?
1: Oh no, I'm not, I'm I'm not, not worried either. It's anymore.
0: I'm not plugged in.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not worried about anyone. I mean, I, I'm I, I know what I can and can't say. I just I just disagree with the strategy. It is what it is. Like I don't I don't understand the upside. That's all I said about it. But uh, you know, you're you're a smart guy. I trust your opinion. So I wanted to at least ask you before we get out of here. People people are probably plus the uh, stop button already at this point in time. So I figured I'd, I'd save it to the very end to ask you about it. And uh, you and I agree. I mean, you remember years upon years ago when. Chipper had his
0: 8,000 maladies. He would get days off every so often, and and even when he didn't, it was when it mattered, when the team was in a pennant race, when things were actually on the line. There's nothing like that now. Just, just
1: let Freeman rest.
0: It's, it's okay. Nobody is going to think less of you, Freddie, if you take a day off. Trust me.
1: Yep, strongly on that one. Uh, it's, uh, I guess we'll get out of here on that one um, just because I think we agree, and that's one of those things where it's been frustrating. Uh, I, I do love you, Freddie, though. Freddie's been great. There's no question. And I think that's the argument that you people will give me is that, well, he's been awesome, and it's like, okay, I don't I don't care. It's not about him being good. We know he's good. There's no, there's no beef about him being good. He can certainly be a good player on the wrist. We've now seen that. That's not what matters to me in this situation.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not about him not being good or whatever. It's about him being good for many, many years to come. And if giving him days off or time to rest is what's going to fix that, uh, I would rather him get days off or time to rest.
1: Yes, sir. Well, there you go, Joe. Uh, well, before I leave, you got here, man, please plug anything you want to. Plug the website, plug your Twitter, do all those fun things. I know people have, uh, I'm sure people are following you that listen to this podcast, but uh, tell them where to get you if they don't. Well,
0: I am the managing editor over at AwfulAnnouncing.com, which you can read a bunch of my work at. I'm also a uh, contributor over at the Comeback for uh, all things sports and pop culture. And you can follow me on the Twitters at Joe underscore T-O-C, which is in reference to a website that no longer exists. So good job, me. I can't get a new Twitter handle because Twitter is dumb.
1: Shouts to the outside corner, though. Oh, man.
0: The outside corner launched in I think 2010.
1: You're old. That's all that means. I'm
0: very old, and one of the guys that actually uh, launched it with me now actually works for the Braves. So more power to me.
1: Uh, there you go. You're uh, you're an important man. Well, uh, as a as an OG uh, sports media nut, I really enjoy the uh, the website. So I I, I people. I would set people there, especially if you like sports media and all kinds of fun shenanigans. I enjoy it, and uh, thanks for coming on as always, man.
0: Thank you for having me, Brad. Really appreciate it, buddy.
1: As for everybody else, we'll be back again next week as we wind things down in 2017, looking ahead to 2018. Do all that fun stuff. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and we'll see you guys in just a few days.